If you're a guest with us today, my name is Jerry, and uh, it's always great to see new faces. Good to see old faces too, but, but always great to see new faces. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, welcome to the Ridge. Um, uh, today is a day that I, I love uh, when it comes on the calendar. It, it is the day that we remember uh, the importance of blowing the trumpet uh, for the unborn. Uh, that we stand for, for life, for the sanctity of life. And, and what I would love to do on this day, is, as we do think about that, you got a little insert in your bulletin there. There's, there's baby bottles. I didn't bring mine up, but there's baby bottles there in the foyer. Um, we'd love for you to take one on your way out today, uh, fill it up with some change, and then bring it back in a few weeks. And, and we do that to help uh, a, a ministry in the area called Real Options. Uh, they're kind of a frontline ministry that uh, is, is caring for women uh, when they find them place, uh, themselves in maybe a tough place um, and they're trying to decide, do, do I choose life or, or um, what do I do in this case? And, and so um, Real Options is there to help counsel and come alongside them, care for them, share the gospel with them. And so we're big fans of Real Options. Uh, they've, they've done great work for many years in the community and uh, we stand with them. We have some people here at the church who are on their board who have volunteered with them. And so we love their heartbeat just for caring women, uh, for caring for women. Uh, um, and what's amazing, I was looking at some stats this morning, as you, as you see over time, I mean, it's still a, a daunting, um, sad case many times, um, uh, but we've seen abortions drop in our world. Um, we've gone from the heights of the 1990s to around 1.6 million, and you, steady see, you see the steady drop uh, to where it's right around a million right now. That's still, though, a lot if you think about it every year babies that, that are taken. And so this morning, what I would like to do, that's going to be a, a part of where we go this morning. It's not going to be of all of what we talk about, because I want you to see how the dominion and the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ impacts us. Because as we read this text this morning that Dan just read about the ascension, that's what the ascension is about. It is, it is about the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ even today. And it impacts you and I so much so that those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that you and I can be on top of the world even though it seems like the world is on top of us. It, it seems like we're, we're hopeless and everything around us, may, we're losing hope, but, but no, we're on top of the world because of what Jesus Christ has done. Maybe you've had that feeling before where you feel like you're on top of the world. Alabama Crimson Tide, they had that experience this past Monday, right? Um, but maybe you've had that experience, guys in here, when you've got on a knee and, and proposed to your girl and said, hey, will you marry me? And when she says yes, either you went, Phew, or you felt like you're on top of the world, right? At, at the coming of your First child, your second child, your third child, it ne never lose that feeling, right? Where you feel like you're just on top of the world. But there are many times where we feel like the world presses in on us, presses in, we have too much, like almost too much to bear, and we feel like the world is on top of us. But I want you to hear in today's message that we can have hope because Jesus, literally, he puts us on top of the world because that's 
where he is. He reigns in complete dominion and it impacts us. And it impacts the issues of our day, even the issue of life. So I want us to see this today. Look at Acts 1. And what I like to do is to walk through these three verses real quickly, just kind of look at them, and then ask the question, so what's the significance of the ascension? Because in reality, the incarnation of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, they get a lot of airtime, but the ascension of Christ doesn't get as much, right? We don't talk about it as much, but we need to because it is vital, it's, it's big. And so this morning, we, we wanna do that. So look at the text, then we'll look at the significance of it, and then we'll step back and say, okay, well, how does this impact me and the world that I live in and even the issue of life today? And so look at verse nine of what uh, is written by Luke. Luke is penning this. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about this last week. And as he writes, he's writing about the account that the apostles, the 11 disciples experienced. And look what happens here in verse 9. He says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sights. Now, who's the capital he and him in this text? It's, it's Jesus. And Jesus has been with his apostles. He's been giving them commands to wait and stay in Jerusalem. And he told them them what he had repeated over and over again that the father was going to give this great good awesome gift of the holy spirit to be with them when he would leave you remember john 16 where he says it's to your advantage that i go and why would he say that it's because the holy spirit the very presence of god is going to come and indwell inside of you who know me and I'm going to go. I'm going to go away. And so what's happening here is that going away is happening now. And so it says right here, he had literally been lifted up as the apostles were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so think about this. If you look at verse 11, what's happening? Jesus has been taken up, as verse 11 says, from the apostles into heaven. You have this cloud that's present, no, no doubt, probably refers to the glory of God, like in, in places like in Exodus, where the Israelites were led by the glory of God by a cloud during the day. And so, very similar here, some of the, the language, a cloud, he's taken up into where? Verse 11 says, into heaven, where God dwells. And that is where Jesus goes in this moment. And then look what happens as they're looking on in verse 10 intently into the sky while he was going, I would be looking pretty intently too. I mean, this would be pretty cool, right? This would be amazing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, talking to the apostles, why do you stand looking into the sky? Um, I could give a lot of answers there <laughs> why I would be standing looking into the sky that they say this to him, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go in to heaven. And so while Jesus is being taken up, the apostles are looking on, these two angels, right, clothed as, as men here, are standing and talking to the apostles and telling them that just as Jesus is gone, so he will come again and return to this earth. Now, this is huge. This is huge. 
Because in this verse, in verse 11, we basically have set up here the age we live in, right? Jesus ascends. We now have what you would call when the Holy Spirit comes in 10 days from now, the day of Pentecost, chapter two. We'll see that in the coming weeks. What happens here? You have now the beginning of what you would call last days. And we await during these last days for Jesus to return again. And it's these days where Jesus has said, I'm coming soon. And so that's what you have here. It, this is huge. This is, this is monumental what's taking place here. And so what's the significance of the ascension of Jesus being lifted up, taken to heaven, because it's big. It's big for you and I. It means a lot. It's not merely a pat on the back of God saying, hey, well done, well done. You know, come into heaven, dwell back with me again in all glory. No, it's, 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 it's more than that. It confirms something. And the first thing I want you to see this morning, it confirms that Jesus is king of all, that he is Lord of all. That's what the ascension confirms, that he should be king, that he should reign, he should rule over everything and be sovereign Overall, And so let me show you that this morning. Look at another passage. We're going to look at some satellite text this morning. We're going to do some work to kind of see this this morning. They'll be up on the screen for you. This one won't because all you have to do is turn one page to the right. Acts 2. And so listen to this. Acts 2 verse 32. Listen to what Peter, the apostle, some 10 days after this happens, Jesus ascends, Peter is preaching. The Holy Spirit has come. He's filled the apostles. He's indwelled them with presence to be witnesses of God and and of Christ and the gospel. And listen to what Peter says in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, so we get some clue there about the ascension. He has been exalted to the right hand of God And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you have both seen and hear. And so Peter tells us a little bit here that Jesus has gone to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. This is not a place of location. And so don't think, don't get this picture of the Father and Son in heaven and they got their recliners out and Jesus is sitting at the right and his. I mean, that's, that's, not the, that's nothing of what this is supposed to look like. It's about his position of reign and rule. The right hand signifies his all authority. He's the king. He rules and he reigns absolutely. Because we're going to see in a second that Jesus is working on our behalf as king under his rule and reign. And so he's at the right hand of God, he says, a position of kingship. And now the Holy Spirit has come. They see it. It's present. They hear it. And then look at verse 34 in that same chapter. For it was not David, for was it not David who said this, who ascended into heaven, but he himself says this. And so listen to this. This, this is very Interesting, King David, hundreds of years ago, will write in Psalm 110 this beautiful verse, and listen to what it says, but listen to what it applies to, because this is where prophecy comes in and and, and speaks loudly to confirm the word of God from beginning to end, and so listen to what Peter says. He says, it wasn't David who ascended, but listen to what he says. "The, The Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Peter, in his sermon, is saying this, that David said this many years ago, but what did he mean? Peter's applying it to what has happened now with Jesus ascending. And who is the Lord that says to my Lord? It's the Father. Look at the text. The Father said to my Lord. And so what's significant about this is King David, hundreds of years, is causing, calling the Messiah his Lord. So God the Father says to Jesus, that's, we know that now in the New Testament, Sit at my right hand, meaning come and reign as king in all authority. He is the king until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that will come. That's the day when he returns again. Therefore, as a result of verse 36, because of all of this, because of the work of Jesus Christ, that he is reigning as king, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Messiah, meaning he saves, he's savior this Jesus whom you crucified. You see the significance of this? He's now reigning in heaven. He is king over all. He's sovereign over everything. Listen to it a little bit more. Philippians chapter um, 2, verse 9 through 11. This is how Paul saw it, and this is how Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit. He says, for this reason also. You remember this text? Paul just said you need to have an attitude like this. An attitude like who? Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He caused us to look at the incarnation. He caused us to look at the cross. And then he says because of all of that, God highly exalted Jesus. Look at verse 9 of Philippians 2. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's that name above every name. And who does it belong to? Jesus alone, to the glory of God the Father. And so what's significant about the ascension? It confirms that Jesus Christ is king of all. That he is sovereign over all. And that even that reign and that rule affects us presently here on earth. You might say, how? I think the next point gets us there. Because not only is he king and ruler, but, but as king and ruler, he has dominion. I love that word, dominion. His ascension is significant because he has dominion. Think about this text, Daniel 7. Uh, we're gonna, I told you we're gonna do some work today, all right? Daniel 7, it'll be up on the screen, but I want you to think about this text. This is a beautiful text. It's a hard text especially since we're just kind of dipping in and dipping out. But think about this text, Daniel 7 in verse 11. You guys remember Daniel, who he is, right? Um, gets tossed in with lions, right? Okay. Daniel chapter 7, verse 11. Listen to what he says. It says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful or arrogant words um, which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. Now I'll read verse 12 too and we'll apply what's, what's taking place here. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And so Daniel, again, prophetic, things that are gonna happen in the future is in view here. 
And it's a heaven view of what's happening here on earth. And then in verse 13, he's going to bounce back up and give us a heaven view. But here what he's talking about is that there is some authority that has been allowed to the enemy and his dominion presently. But there is going to be a day when that, the beast, are completely taken out and done away with and conquered once and for all. And so how would we translate that of what he's saying here to today is that by the work of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, the realm of Satan has been attacked. And he's represented in this text with the word horn and and beasts. And so through the work of Jesus, his redemptive work, he has defeated the enemy once and for all, but the enemy still prowls. He still prowls, it tells us, around like a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking someone to devour, right? I mean, the enemy wants to still kill and destroy, and he's still seeking to do that. But he doesn't have absolute reign and authority and dominion to do that, right? So how do we kind of handle that today? What does that look like? If Jesus has complete dominion, which he does, how do we put together that, that the enemy still prowls like an enemy, or a lion. I, lo- I love how one writer put it. I think he, he helps us kind of sit back and kind of think about it. But J.R. Packer, listen to what he said about this. I, I like this. He says, God's war with Satan is now like a chess game in which the result is sure, but the losing player has not given up yet. He's defeated, yes, but he hasn't given up yet. Or like the last phase of human hostilities in which the defeated enemy's counterattacks, though fierce and frequent, cannot succeed and embrace in the victor's strategy as mere opping up, or excuse me, mopping up operations. And so that's what's happening now. Because the final blow was on the cross. The effect of it, the, the complete full effect of that, of sending Satan Away forever will happen when Jesus Christ comes. We see that in Revelation. But until then, he still is trying to take jabs, right? I mean, we see it. We see it. But listen to this. Look at verse 13. This is where this applies to the ascension. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. This is from heaven. This is the view from heaven. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. What kind of language is that? That's ascension language that we just read about in Acts, right? Jesus ascending up to heaven. And to him, so so in this, in, in this work of ascension, this is what's happening. This is what the impact of it is. What to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so here's what I want you to get today. That kingdom, that dominion is now. We're not waiting for it. I mean, it'll be culminated when Jesus Christ comes and the beast is put away, the enemy forever. Yes, that's what we're waiting for. But don't sit back and think, well, well, you know, Christ doesn't have any dominion now. No, he does. He has, he has 
Complete dominion. And that's big. He reigns and he rules. What is dominion? What is this word? It speaks of authority. It speaks of a ruling, absolute sovereignty. And he has that. How did Jesus make this visible when he was here? We got little appetizers of it, right? When he was here, um, he cast out demons, right? So he has dominion over demons and even the enemy. Um, he calmed the wind and waves, so he has dominion over creation. He healed people. He had dominion over physical sickness. He raised the dead with the likes of Lazarus, right? He has dominion over death. He has dominion. And he rules and he reigns today. The Father has given him all authority, Matthew 28 tells us. It's been given to him in heaven and in earth. And so I want you to hear it today, guys. The ascension's powerful, it's big, because it says that Jesus is king and he has complete dominion over everything. And here's the thing, he wants to have dominion over our life. That's why he came is that by grace we would have a king that stands for us and who loves us, and we're gonna see in just a second, is an advocate for us, is an intercessor for us. He is for us. The next thing I want you to see just real simply is this. What does the ascension do? I think it explains to us how the kingdom of God continues today. If you think about this, you sit back for a second, you think about the times and the age we live in and, and what is God doing and the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? It's about the rule and the reign of God over all. And so you look over time through the Old Testament, how do we see, how did God mediate his reign and his rule? He did it through a people, right? He did it through the Israelites. Then when Jesus was here present on earth, what did Jesus say? He said the kingdom of God is at hand, why? Because Jesus was present, he was there. And then we see in the New Testament, how does God mediate his rule and his reign today? He does it through the church. Not an organization, not a gathering, but through his people. He mediates his rule and his reign through his people, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He empowers them to be the witness into this world. And so remember last week, we talked about that Jesus has empowered us to be his witnesses. Witnesses of what? Of his rule, his reign, and his dominion overall, and he does that through the church. In fact, listen to this verse, Ephesians 4.10. Kind of, kind of sit on this for a bit. Listen to this verse. Paul says this, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. That, that verse is power-packed. And so what is it saying? It's saying he who has descended, Jesus came from heaven to earth. This is what we celebrated just a few weeks ago um, in his incarnation. And he has also ascended, talking about that he has gone to heaven and he is with God. And because of that, Paul says, he has done this so that he can fill all things even now. But, but what is that filling? That filling, F-I-L-L, is this, the glory of God. The kingdom of God. How does he do that? 
And if you jump down to that chapter, you go down to verse 11 and 12, he says, I'm gonna make some to be apostles, I'm gonna make some to be this and this and this. And so what is he saying? He's saying, through my people, through the church, I'm gonna fill every nook and cranny of this world, your office place, your neighborhood, wherever you drive to tomorrow morning to go to work, I'm gonna fill that place with the reign and the rule of God through you. That's what he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his plan. And that's what he's doing as his dominion today is he's ruling and reigning through his people, the church. And so with the ascension and now the coming of the Holy Spirit, you have the beginning of what we call last days and the pledge that Jesus will return just as he ascended. And so he is coming soon, but until that day, the big question comes, how does this impact you and I? I mean, how can we walk out of here today and say, Wow, thank God that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven today. Here's why, first point is this, he's our advocate. He's our advocate who's interceding for us. I put those two things together because that word advocate and intercession seems to be linked together in places like 1 John. He's our advocate that is interceding for us. And listen to these verses, just kind of sit back. They're gonna be kind of thrown at you a little bit. They'll be up on the screen, but Hebrews 9, 24. Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of, a tr- of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, the ascension, now to appear in the presence of God for us. In fact, if there's anything you take away today, take that. That Jesus did all his work on the cross, resurrection, ascends into heaven. For what reason? For us, for you, and for me. To do what? To stand as our advocate. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have the Holy Spirit now. We don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to. We've now been given the power to overcome temptation. But Jesus says, if, if you do sin, I, I'm your advocate. I stand with pierced hands and pierced feet as one who bore your sin and has forgiven it. And he stands before the Father as that for us today. Listen to Romans 8, 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who also raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us. Us. And I'll tell you a little bit of what intercession might look like in a second, but he's interceding for us as our advocate. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so, so what does that mean? He's working for us. How's he working for us? Again, I, I was taken by... J.I. Packer this week. Sometimes I, I read guys and I'm like, okay, man, I'm really liking this, you know? And, and this is one of those things this week where it's like, yeah, this is good. And so listen to what Packer says. I want you to hear what he says about interceding. It's up on the screen. He says this. He says, interceding denotes not a supplicant making an appeal to charity, but the intervening of one who has sovereign right and power to make requests and take action in another's interest. And so, I love that thought. That's what Jesus is doing for you and I today. 
It is truly said that our Lord's presence and life in heaven as the enthroned priest king, our propitiation, big word for meaning that he became our sacrifice, he took our place, our substitute, so to speak, in person is itself his intercession. Just for him to be there, I love this, guarantees all grace to us and glory to Wow, you ever thought about that? That's what the ascension, that's what Jesus being in heaven, ruling and reigning as king means for you and I. Is he stands before the Father as our advocate. He stands, he's working for us to give us grace in time of need, Hebrews 4. And he holds us in his hands, John 10 tells us, in his love till the end, and he will never let us go. And he guarantees that for us. And that's what his rule and his reign in heaven means to you and I today. And so we can agree with this poem. I love this poem, 18th century poem. I don't know who wrote it, but it says this. Love moved thee to die, and on this I rely. My Savior hath loved me. I cannot tell why, but this I can find. We two are so joined, he'll not be in glory and leave me behind. It guarantees us grace. And he will come back to us again and take us to himself. We have a secure relationship. We have a secure fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. So much so, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He says this, God raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so God has done this with Jesus, right? He has raised him up from the dead. He has ascended him to all dominion over all. But listen to this next part. Just a few verses later in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, listen to what Paul says, because this is huge. He applies what God the Father did with Jesus physically. He applies it to you and I spiritually, what he does to us. And listen to this, verse four, Ephesians two. But God, being rich in great mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, meaning you don't bring anything to the table. He's done all the work for you. Just receive and accept his grace. He loves you so much. He wants to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But listen to what he says. He has raised us up also with him. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's extraordinary. What the Father has done physically to Christ, through Christ it is done to us spiritually when we are saved and come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Christ was raised from death to life. So are we when we trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Christ was raised to the heavenly realms. So are we spiritually, meaning this, that the destiny and privilege that is experienced by Christ alone has been made ours by the grace and the mercy and the love of God, that one day we will be where he is. And we're united in Christ with him in a forever relationship. The spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ that are found in the heavenly realms are ours so that we might know the power of God and the place in which we find ourselves spiritually is with Jesus. He's far above all rule and reigning authority. He has complete dominion. And that impacts us so that we can be alive and live for his name and his glory even today. And this impacts us. 
It impacts our world. It impacts our daily living. Because of the ascension of Christ and his rule and his reign over the world, he has overcome the world. He's overcome the dark powers uh, through his work on the cross and the resurrection. He has dominion over all, and that dominion impacts us. It impacts our home. It impacts our family. It impacts marriages. It impacts even your work. Think about this. Maybe at work you have a boss that, man, you can't stand. Man, he rides you or... Man, there's just something, there's something there. There's, maybe there's tension, or maybe, maybe you work for a boss that, that you know he's, he's an unbeliever and just, just standards and ways of doing things, man, you just don't jive with. And so maybe you at times feel defeated. You hate going to work. You, you hate it. But I think when we think about the dominion of Christ, we don't have to feel defeated. We can go to even our place of work, even with such a circumstance and 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 an environment, and we can go to that place, and we can still work unto the Lord. We can still do that. We can go to that place of work, and we can have influences like the likes of an Esther, like the likes of a Daniel, like the likes of a Joseph. Even when things around us are pressing in, and it seems like the world is on top of us, we've got to remember where our Savior is. He's on top of the world, and because of that, I don't have to let these things drag me down and suck me into these things, but I'm on top of the world with him because he reigns. And the same power that raised him from the dead lives in me. And I can still have an influence even in tough places and tough environments. And you may be in a place today where you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety. Maybe you're struggling with worry. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe a habit that you're like, man, this thing just keeps eating at me and eating at me and it will not stop. It won't stop. Guys, I want you to hear today, Christ has dominion. He has dominion. And those things, you don't have to let them rule and they, you don't have to let them reign. You don't let, have to let those things have dominion over your life. Let the Lord take those things. Take them to him. And remember, he is our help. He is giving us grace in the time of need. That's what he does. Take them to the Lord. Trust him with those things. And so, yeah, the dominion of Christ, it impacts us greatly today. And it even impacts issues in our world today. And I, I just want to close on this. Um, back to the, the fight for sanctity of life and life. I, I, ever since I started here, Isabel will tell you and others, I, I've, I feel like every third Sunday of the year that the Lord has just said, blow that trumpet for the unborn because it's a fight worth fighting for. And whether it's through sermons and, and, and support in places like Real Options, um, <clears throat> we'll just keep doing it. We'll just keep doing it because I think it's, a, it's an ongoing battle and, and we've got to take a stand. And, and I love it. Families in our church have, have adopted. They, they foster. And, and I think those are ways to help blow that trumpet. And, and you support and you pray. And and some of you on the board at Real Options, things like that. And I love that, I love that. But, but it's also part of our witness. And what are we witnesses of when we talk about this issue? We're ish, witnesses of life. And that God is the creator of life. And that there are creator rights. And that's what matters. And that that's what you and I as believers, that's what we are to live by. 
It reminds me I, of a guy, and, and I've shared this story before. In fact, I, I, saw, I shared it four years ago, and the chances are many of you have forgotten it, so I'll share it again. <laughs> but I love this story because I think it embodies what we're talking about today. You haven't forgotten the man. Many of you guys in here, when you hear the name of the man, you, you hear it. And when I tell you the story, you'll be, ah, I, I remember and this guy. So what might this look like, the unfolding of Jesus' dominion with the issue of life today? Here's what it might look like. In the 18th century, there lived this Englishman. His name was Will, right? Some of you guys remember this lad? He was an outspoken opponent of a few things. The first being slavery. He went so far as to boycott sugar from the West Indies because it was the product of slavery. While still in England, he began to preach as a dissenter. British law prohibit anyone attending a meeting of dissenters, and that's what Will was. So every time he preached in a setting like this, he committed civil disobedience. His parents and everyone who came to hear him preach did the same as well. When he Attempted to be ordained as a pastor. The ordination committee said to him, you do not get your ordination because you are simply too boring. That's what they called Will. So Will felt instead called to go to India. He went to India and upon arriving, he was shocked to discover that many of the Hindus took their infant children, exposed them to death as a holy act. Many, in fact, if you go to India today, not, it, it's not as big today, which is good, but some will just throw their infants into a river. And the reason they do it is, is an act of Hinduism. They believe it appeases the gods. And so the British government in India looked the other way at this practice because it didn't want to interfere with culture and religion. But Will felt compelled to interfere because children were dying. He spoke out forcibly to prod the British government and Indian society to spare the lives of innocent children, change the laws that permitted child, child killing. As a result, eventually infanticide, which that was called, was abolished. Countless of tens of thousands of children were saved by the activism of this one man. The Hindus also practiced a form of euthanasia in which they took the weak, the sick, the lepers, and left them to die. Will and the missionaries who were his associates wrote, they spoke about this practice as well, finally resulting in pro-life laws implemented by the government. But while exposure was still legal, the missionaries would do this. So they wouldn't just talk it. They would carry the lepers, the aging and the sick to a place and they would care for them on their own. Then one day, Will witnessed something even more despicable. It was the practice called sati. You maybe have heard of this. It's where widows were burned alive on the funeral pyre of their deceased husband. After seeing one such death take place, he stood up in front of a group assembled to burn a woman alive. He told them the practice was wrong. They must not kill this woman. Seeing no other way, Will decided to lie. This might be a holy moment to lie. Listen to what he says. He said, the governor general had threatened to hang any man here who lit that funeral fire. 
He then led a group of missionaries in protesting widow burning. He also set up public debates on the subject to expose what was really happening, to bring God's perspective to life. Missionary magazines in India started publishing arguments against this widow burning. As a result, in his lifetime, the age-old practice of widow burning was abolished. Go to India today, you see little remnants of places of India still practice those, but for most parts, it's abolished. This man, Will, was a brilliant linguist, a Bible translator, was also the British government's official translator into the Bengali language. And this is interesting. On a morning when he was supposed to get up and preach in December 6, 1829, he received a document, a decree forbidding widow burning that very morning. Instead of preaching that morning, he felt his obligation to translate that into the Bengali language so that no more burnings would take place. Will was criticized for his moral and political actions. They would say things like this about this man. That's not what you're here for as a missionary. Focus on the main thing. Just preach the gospel and pray. Stay away from politics and moral issues. Be concerned about spiritual lives, not physical lives. That's what they would say to Will. So who was this radical? Who was this man who was involved in protests, boycotts, civil disobedience, attempts to change the lives, opening his home to the weak, the vulnerable, the neglected, saving their lives from those who would have been killed? Who was this man? So concerned about morality and laws and saving human lives. You guys know him, right? William Carey. If you look at history books, missional history books, if you sit in a missions class, whether it's in college or at seminaries, some of you college guys in here that are in Bible schools, you'll hear about this man, and he's called the father of modern missions. But he didn't just carry the gospel to these places. He stood as one who understood the dominion and the rule and the reign of God in the world. And he stood for everything that mattered to God and especially life. Life matters to God. He went to places to win people to Christ, to disciple them, and yes, that's big time. Because souls need to know Jesus. But while we do that, we must stand for everything else that he taught to, like in Matthew 8, 28. We must teach them to obey all his commands. William Carey provides for us, I believe, a model for a great issue in our life, in our time. To continue to stand for the issues of our day, morality, life issues, especially the issue of life, because God has complete dominion. Jesus reigns. It's present here on earth. It's present through his church. We must be witnesses of that. And so today, as we close, we might at times feel like that the world's pressing in. We might feel like because of all the stuff going on in this world, especially the continued increase of lawlessness and immorality in our day, we might feel like the world's on top of us but I want you to walk out today and be able to say, because you know Jesus, I'm on top of the world. I'm on top of the world because I have a Savior who's reigning and ruling and I want him to reign and rule in my life 
And I want to be a witness of his reign and rule this week. From the workplace, to the neighborhood, to my family, and my friends. If you're in here today, and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I pray today, as you hear about Christ and his work, it's a work of love, of great love. He laid his life down for you so that you would not have to bear the shame and the guilt that comes with sin, that comes with the failures of life, but instead to let him bear that. That's why he died. And the price of our sin, the wages of our sin, the Bible says is death. It's eternal death. And so this is a life and death issue. This is not just, um, you know, these aren't small things we're dealing with today. This is big. And so the question is, you know, eternity is a long time. And so where am I going to spend it? And so today, I want to encourage you. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus has risen from the dead, and we believe that he is Lord, we confess that he is Lord with our mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. Guaranteed. So today, the Lord's tugging, man, if he's quickening, if he's coming and tugging on your heart and pulling, man, surrender and say yes. Let's pray.